Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Dundalk. With over 150 new and used cars to choose from, along with the full Renault commercial van range and finance arranged within the hour, there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors in a relief road Dundalk. You're very welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Lots of chat and guests over the next couple of hours, including a local priest asking people to give up social media for Lent. We'll also be talking to Martin Connolly, uh, General Manager at Dundalk, about the incidents on football fields in Scotland and England over the weekend. Could it happen here? And lots more besides on the show. 086-1800-658 if you'd like to get in touch with us by WhatsApp or text or 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call call in. Now, over the weekend, if you were listening to our news, drugs worth €850,000 were seized in Navin, where a man and woman have been arrested. This morning, I read that every third day, a baby is born in Ireland suffering from alcohol or drug withdrawal symptoms. It's more than 30 years since Marie Bourne founded the Ashling Group in Navin in response to the drug and alcohol addiction problem back then in the town and county. Her new book, Angel in the Marble, is about addiction families prevention and recovery and I'm delighted to say she's with me on Late Lunch today. Marie, you're very welcome back to the Thanks show. Thanks very much. Dave. Thank you indeed for joining me on Late Lunch this afternoon. Now, a comment on that for a start. You know, look, it's only one of a number of stories reported probably every other day about drug seizures. Do you ever lose hope or despair when you hear this? I don't lose hope because I believe that the ordinary people have the power to change the whole thing. Um I get very frustrated at political inactivity, at least when they do have activity, it tends to be in the same area of reducing the harm, but not actually intervening and not providing services and so on. And I I really feel that now is the time for people. They've campaigned for so many things in the past number of years. They've seen how corruption affected things. It's time for them to start focusing once again on the family and how to protect it because they're really the only thing now between addiction and their children. So you're basically saying today, here with me, that it's back to basics here with family, the family unit, parents, guardians, people looking after children. It begins with all of us. That's where it begins because when I was running the recovery programme, as I said to you before, Jerry, that most of the people who who started, started um, experimenting at age 14 and 13 with cannabis or alcohol and so on. And some may grow out of that. 
Um, but you can't take the risk anymore because they're moving very sharply into other drugs such as uh, ecstasy and cocaine now at 16 and uh, heroin in around those ages as well. So you really, really have to be there and not apologise for how you're going to have to parent. How do you recognise the signs? And what age, how young are we talking about now that you'll see signs or children will start to dabble with drugs? Well, I, you know, when I was in the, in the cities working, I've worked in various countries, but eight, eight years of age, sometimes children had access to drugs that were in the home, such as cannabis, or now in countries where it's decriminalised, they have cookies and so on. So there's a lot more children accessing A&Es because they're getting access to methadone accidentally or to other drugs. Is that the case? Or prescription tablets. Is that the case in Ireland? Yes, of course, because we have um, what they call take-home packs of methadone if somebody is so-called stabilised, so it might be in the house. So, you know, these, you know, you have to remember that products such as this are actually painkillers. We also have prescription tablets that are being um, huge... Di- overuse of them really in this country uh, it's phenomenal actually and uh, we also have all the other drugs in mixed into that so children have access now <coughs> and then you get young people using social media so they know how to communicate very fast and a 14 year old saying that something's fantastic and they've had a great time on it and you should use it you know you really got to be aware of what's on social media as young as eight, up uh, until they turn into the teenage years and beyond. What, what will you see? What are the signs to look out for with children that something is wrong? I think um, we all know the teenage years are turbulent because we've all had them, even though people think we didn't. <laughs> um, and I, I'm sure my mother followed me often enough in my teens. But I think it's the change in behaviour is the biggest thing because behaviour never lies. Um, isolating themselves is another thing to watch for because now they're at the age where they're going to start isolating with their friends. But you still need to know what they're doing when they're with their friends and where they go and they have to be accountable for that. They don't like long lectures. And to be honest, they don't really go anywhere long lectures. So you have to be very punchy about it and say that, you know, these are the rules and there will be consequences and you must carry out whatever that might be. If they're out late staying out late at night, um, you have to say to them, well, then you lose an hour off your next night out. But they have to learn that the choices they make give them the results that they now have. So parents must parent, and you're saying saying to me, the other thing is this, you talk about lecturing them or advising them. Mm. Is it important to sit down with them from a young age and outline the potential dangers of getting involved in drugs? And we have to say, alcohol is generally the introductory drug, Yes. It is, yeah. And I mean, it's legal and we know, you know, everybody, you know, a lot of people in Ireland take a drink and so on and some handle it. A lot of people don't because it's probably the one that has the highest rate of addiction would probably be alcohol. Um, So you're talking then about, you know, they've also got these combating things coming in, such as the legalisation talk and all that. And children are saying to me, oh, well, they say it's good for glaucoma and I'd say, well, do you have that? And they'd say, no. But <laughs> So they'll use any reason. They'll, they'll hear yeah. it's medically good for you. That's what they keep quoting nowadays. So it's very important, you're right, Jerry, that you sit down and say to them, I'm going to tell you now, this is the situation about mm. drugs for our house. I don't care what everybody else is doing in theirs. This is what we're doing in ours. And don't apologise 
first stand because you're going to come between your child and drugs. I know that it's like stand, you know, if you saw a truck coming down the road, what would you do? Is it inevitable they're going to face this? Obviously, they'll be offered a drink and pushed to drink with their peers as well. But when it comes to starting into the drugs itself and that, is it more likely that anyone listening today who has children and children growing up over the next while are going to be faced with an offer to partake? Yes. All? I I think nowadays I can't see how you're going to avoid that one because it's so common. What happened was we allowed cannabis to become normalised and people to say it has no side effects. And yet we have people in psychiatric units who have suffered um, drug-induced problems, mental illness and so on. And I know there are many people listening to your programme and I'm sure they know someone this has happened to. So you know this is the truth. I'm not I'm not saying it for, for it to be dramatic. You know it's the truth. And um, I think it's important that... Uh, we understand that what's out there now has been normalised. We've now got to the stage cocaine is normalised. And at the moment, we have people who, who, you know, they're keeping down jobs and, and so on. But that's not what life is about, just keeping down a job and being able to use coke. So tell me this, who has normalised it? Where has that come from? Well, I think, uh, as I always said, the big worry was the backers. And and people might think we're paranoid, but the backers for the big legalisation movement because there is a huge, phenomenal amount of money to be made. They've succeeded in doing it with cannabis in Colorado and that would have terrible um, side effects from it for young people. Uh, And it's now got shares in it in uh, you know, that are heading into Wall Street. So it, it was always going to be a multi-billion industry. So there are Can actually we d- people mm. whose vested interest it is to get this message about that all these things are OK, because you, you, you do know marijuana legalised in Colorado, just an example in yeah. the United States as well, but they're now even wanting to roll back from that. Is that true? Yeah, Immediately, and yeah. that's what I really like, is that, you know, we're trying to save people this time and effort here of going the same road. Um, there's talk from our some of our political representatives. And, um, you know, I've said to you before, there are times, and we have said in the past, where we think that people who make decisions at that level also should apply the same medical practices as they do in very big companies and employ drug testing for their employees. And I believe that for politicians as well, because I feel that, you know, from my own experience, that if you have people who have that much power over what happens on policies in Ireland, you are entitled to know are they breaking the law and of sound mind and body? I'm not well, saying not, everybody's doing it. I know, I know. But, but like uh, sports people are tested. Problem. Yeah, but sports people are yeah, tested what's the problem? all the time. So why not politicians? Why not people in workplaces as well? Here's the thing, though, uh, with this. If you look at the problem in the country that we have at the moment, it has to be also driven. It's not just children or people who have to you know, commit crime and rob and steal to fund their habits. There has to be a massive market out there where people have plenty of disposable income. You know what I'm talking about, to spend on drugs. Is that not what you're sort of getting at there? Yes, it's always about money. Uh, Money and actions without consequences. And I 
I'm coming from I'm, our organisation that we ran originally was non-denominational, non-political. So I'm not coming from any other background on the, other than practical. And what I've investigated over many years is that there's always money behind it. Um, there's a vested interest. It's a multi-billion industry that uh, it's next to the arms trade, and often drugs are swapped for for um, arms in the war zones. So we're talking about. You know, let me bring you back a second. We've we've looked at how our systems have broken down here in the last few years. Things went on that people didn't realise could possibly be going on. And it cost them a lot of money with their mortgages, with everything. We have to wake up and smell the rose and understand that when you're talking about big money, there are people who are in there to play. And so it's in their best interest to say that, um, you know, uh, drugs are good or drugs should be legalised or drugs more available. So it's important more than ever that the parents intervene. You know, we've seen in Europe where some, and this is a separate slightly issue, the, some of the big banks have now been charged with laundering uh, drug money for the Mexican drug cartels who this week have uh, had notes in the paper photographs of quite a number of people that they murdered. And left them. that's who they laundered money for. You have to understand there's a lot of money. So it goes right in through the fabric of so-called, uh, on the straight and narrow, respectable society, banking, you know yes. what I mean, people in responsible positions as well. So this is endemic. What would you do if you were given, in Ireland today, responsibility for this issue? A couple of things you'd implement immediately. Well, I would definitely start putting more money putting resources into prevention. That would be number one. And that would have to involve um, helping and training parents because they're just lost out there sometimes as to what to do. Um, I think also that where the grant streams come in to help organisations working in the field of drugs, I would take money away from the, you know, it's overall going to harm reduction, just dealing with the symptoms. Okay, leave some there, but put it into drug-free recovery where you bring people in and you help them come back off all drugs and you put them back on the road for education and the responsible citizens in society and they can do it. And I know you had somebody on uh, Adam FM earlier who is somebody who stands for that, uh, who was an Olympian and has come back from an alcohol problem. So, of course, they can do it. Mm. But they need the support to do it. And I think that our politicians, certainly if I had control over it, I would test and I would see if anybody's using drugs that's in any political power at the moment. And if they were, I'd get rid of them out of that position. And then, you know, because we complain about young people on the street and they're called scumbags when they're caught using or selling drugs. But if somebody's in a high position of power, why do we change the topic? Mm. So it's an interesting, a really interesting yeah, point. Yeah, of course, you make. a bit radical. Mm. But sure, why not? Mm. But you know, as I say again, the, the, you just look at that one seizure in Navin over the weekend and the value of it, and it's only one of hundreds and thousands that will happen this year, and all that is not coming in to be bought by people of no means. Oh no. Um, I mean, it can be anybody now who yeah. works or who doesn't work or whatever who can use cocaine. But you have ketamine in on top of that now, which young people uh, are using. And it's um, it's an anaesthetic uh, that's used, a horse tranquilizer. And yes, the equine industry. Mixing that in. And 
you know, you know you're going to get deaths if you don't start to change this. So instead of making it more available, we have to get parents up and active and know that they have the power to intervene in their own houses. Um, you know, a step of a th- or a journey of a thousand miles is taken with one step. That is so sure. And we're going to take one step into an ad break for a moment. Marie Barnes here. She's written this a brilliant new book called Angel in the Marble. It's about families and addiction prevention and recovery. And we're going to talk more with Marie after the break. If you want to comment, 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call in. And don't forget, you can comment to us here across LMFM social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. Marie Byrne is with me on Late Lunch this afternoon and we're talking about the scourge of drugs and alcohol. Now, when you talk about this whole thing uh, and making a link with another disastrous area in life, the number of young people, especially men, taking their their own lives, suicide we're talking about here. Now, I've seen you've been, uh, you've written about this and, and writing again recently. You believe that there's a correlation between addiction and suicide. Yes, uh, not in all cases. No, not at all. A lot Definitely of not in all. Reasons. No, not at all. But I mean, in a number. Yeah, no. A well, significant over number? Ha- well, over half of suicides are drug or alcohol related. Um, if somebody is using alcohol to cover whatever else is going on inside themselves, and that could be anything, it could be perceptions of what their life is like. It may be real, something that's happened to them, whatever the reasons. If you add alcohol to that mix or they become addicted to any of the substances, it's a depressant. Most drugs are. They might bring them high for a while, but the higher you go on some of the drugs, then the further the drop. So there's nearly always depression associated with that. So if you want to intervene, if somebody is on or talking about depression and that, sometimes you have to take those out of the equation. You have to find out are they using first. I would say most people who ever I've met internationally or here who are using uh, drugs will have some form of anxiety or depression. Some have PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, where something has happened. Uh, In the States, it's well recognised for people coming home from war zones um, where they've suffered depression. Um, So I think it's important that you you take them out of the equation so you can deal with what's going on in someone's head. Because if you're trying to deal with depression and you have a lot of chemicals also creating other changes in the brain, then you really got a big battle on your hands uh, to try and deal with the overall problem. Uh, If you use drugs repeatedly and some are addictive very quickly, it sets off electrical messages in the brain which become a pattern so the next time you go back and use it, recognises that substance and change and the electrical patterns go off till they become um, sort of there all the time. So all you have to do is nearly think about using the drug and you'll want to use it. But you can change all that. Those electrical things can go back uh, into a normal situation when you stop. But back to the point you're here to talk about today, you're talking directly to parents again to say the responsibility is yours. You must deal with this at the very start of things by advising, by watching out for, uh, you know, different changes in your children or signs. Prevention, the best option by far than cure. You've seen when people go down this road to to pull them back. Yes, there is recovery from this, sure, but it's mighty difficult, isn't it? It's very difficult. It's very hard work. 
the families are the ones who generally can see what's going on and suffer incredibly and the whole house becomes insane because someone in the house will will maybe feel it's better to caretake the person, someone will feel it's better to make a stand. So there'll be constant arguing about what's going on and while all that's going on, the other person continues using. So you have to have a concerted and, you know, cooperation between people and the family. But you need to learn about it because we weren't we weren't brought up knowing what to do in these situations. Mm. You don't get a book when you have a baby. So... You know, you get it for your car and you can read through it, but God, you have a baby and what happens. So, you know, I'm not faulting parents, but they are the powerhouse. So it's important that they learn. Like, for instance, we can lecture and lecture and lecture kids and we all of us have done it. But children tend to switch off halfway through that conversation. So don't waste your breath on long lectures. Let them know your rules. But the only thing really that makes a big impact are what are the consequences that they earn by their choices. If they learn it young, they'll associate it with big choices. Mm. You know, so you have to know. Cell phones, all those things. I don't know, they have them very young now and and they really don't handle the freedom that they have with them. So it's creating terrible um, tension in homes Mm. where children are using them at night, in the middle of the night, Snapchat or um, talking to other people when they need to get their sleep be able to go to school so I'd say hold off on the um, phones. Technology as well and the yeah, access to Yeah I let them use that. it sometimes but honestly very young they mm. don't need it all the time really get an old phone or something and give it to them but it's too much access too much freedom for someone who can't handle it. Is there a will just before we finish up and when there's a will they say there's a way is there a will with government with the authorities with people to really tackle this or is that why you're coming here to say look there's not and we have to do it ourselves as parents Well I think at the moment under the present situation is that it's not going in the direction I would feel that I've seen internationally will work and it's going becoming quite liberal and I think that it's important that the parents do it um, you know, I, I've worked in Australia, you know, and I'm going to bring the book back now shortly uh, as soon as I kind of get the proper funding to do it. But, you know, our patron there was um, Alan Jones. He was the most successful coach in the from the Wallabies. And uh, Alan has always been supportive. So it's not just about here, it's about everywhere. They've had the same battles. But mm. some countries are very open for change. We tend to follow certain countries in Europe and and only mention those, but we don't mention the ones like Sweden, who uh, were very successful when the parents asked for more services. There you are, many examples around the world and Marie takes her work from the North East all around the wor- world as well. Marie Byrne, the book is called Angel in the Marble. I have a copy to give away this afternoon on Late Lunch. It is a fantastic book for any parent. If you'd like the book, WhatsApp or text us now. Marie's book, please, to the, the number you all know, 086-1800-658. Marie Barn, thank you for joining us today to highlight this again, and I wish you well with your work. Thanks very much, Sherry. Now, it's been talked about everywhere today, and it began on Friday night at the uh, Hibernian Rangers game in Scotland uh, when the Rangers captain, James Tavernier, was attacked by a fan. Then yesterday, Aston Villa were playing Birmingham. Birmingham at home against Aston Villa, the big Midlands derby there in the Championship in England. And Jack Grealish uh, was attacked, assaulted by a fan, and then was involved in an altercation with a steward. 
we thought it was all over. Not in your life. Arsenal played Man United, incidentally for United fans. Come on, the Gunners. Arsenal won it 2-0. But when the penalty was given to Arsenal, an idiot ran onto the pitch at the Emirates and ran towards Chris Smalling from Manchester United. Now, these are really worrying incidents. Big games at home? Well, there's only one club to think about, the Dundalk Football Club. They've had huge games in recent years, at home and abroad, in the league, at Lansdowne Road. Could it happen in Ireland? What's the thoughts from home? Martin Connolly is general manager of the Dundalk Football Club, and he's on the line. Hello, Martin. Hello, Jerry. How are you? How are I'm good. You, you're familiar with the three incidents that I, I, I mentioned there. Really shocking weekend, wasn't it, Martin? Yeah, well, it is a concern, Jerry, for anybody that, uh, that that's in that environment, and, and you know we all have a duty of care to, to, to the players and to supporters alike, and, and uh, we don't want to take away from the experience of of, of live sport. And but uh, yes, definitely a concern, and, and, and we all have to put our heads together to, to, to stop it from happening. You've handled big games, and you have a difficult and and serious issues with visiting fans. I think even the league here, when Shamrock Rovers or Bohemians come calling, they have a, a big vibrant support generally with them, and you have your own crew there as well. Is it a challenge every time you stage a game like that? Are you worried? Are you concerned? Are you looking where the flashpoints are? Well, you know, I, I think it is. Um, it is a concern, especially when you're dealing with a large large amount of away supporters. Um, it, it, it does take its own risks and especially with a ground like Oriel Park we are mindful of that we have less modern facilities than a lot of people have but um, you know we don't want to take away from the experience either Jerry. so you know the, the problems is do we want to go back to pre-Hillsborough with fences and defensing and you know we can't because of legislation and because of, of law and all that sort of thing but there's very little that you can do about it unless we increase stewards, increase manpower or, or, or put up higher walls or whatever. I don't know. I don't have the answers, and I'm sure a lot of people are scratching their head in in, in bigger and better jurisdictions than us today who have more modern facilities that are saying, you know, how do we stop this? And you're right. I remember the days when you had to peer in from behind fences to games and people were corralled in, and that brought its own difficulties as well. Do you think these people are really exceptions? You know, the number of cases this weekend is exceptional in that there were three. Uh, but in general, are fans, you know, responsible enough or in the heat of the moment, can somebody just lose it and they're gone? Yeah, well, well, I, I think, I think, you know, apart from the Rangers game, but if you look, at, yeah, well, you know, there, there would be certain other things going on with Rangers and Hibs. But if you, if you look at the other two games, yes, the Birmingham and Aston Villa is a massive uh, derby, which which uh, is one of the biggest in the UK. Liverpool Man United is also one of the biggest games in in, in the Premiership calendar. So you, you could probably say that, and, and it may be just a coincidental that the three of them are the one week. And I think if you look at all the games that are played and all the incidents that happens, it probably is a small percentage. But that doesn't. One of them is too many, Jerry. And 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 um, you know, especially the, the the most worrying one for me, I think, was the Grealish one because you know that was assault for yeah. uh, for a lot of other things, you know. But and the Grealish one was definitely and, and to be to be. Um, to be applauded off by 15,000 morons as well was, was, was worse than anything I thought, you know. Absolutely, like, you know, I, I know there's rivalry with clubs and it gets intense and that, but not to this extent at all. And then the worry is with knife crime, and especially you see it across the water, rampant at this stage, that yeah. somebody might actually really, really, you know, assault with a weapon a, a sports person. Yeah, well, that well that is the, 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 uh, the big concern that, that you know, yes, there was, was um, 
you know, where it wasn't just handbags, but it wasn't, you know, it was easily controlled or easy or controlled. But um, I think that what's the next level? And I think that we also have to be wary about these things seem to be, to be copied in other jurisdictions once yeah. somebody sees it in one area. And that's the thing that now we've got to be all mindful of is, you know, who's going to copy those. And, and we've just got to have our, our wits about us for the next while, I think, you know. Your stewards are very important at any game as well, and it really does. You mentioned it a moment ago. Place greater emphasis on them that they're fully aware and tuned into everything that's happening around them. It, it it places a little more on them now at this stage, doesn't it? Well, it also does, and also the the the, uh, the policing of the whole thing, which which is down to the um, which is down to the to, to the guardie, and you, you have to do an awful lot in cooperation and meet an awful lot of guidelines in that as well. And and the other thing is, do we do, do we now have to look at, you know. Uh, suspect games moving to 12 o'clock on a Sunday morning or, or stuff like that which has happened in all other jurisdictions to you know stop the the, the, um, the, the, the chances of trouble happening and, and they're real things that, that, that have been done but it didn't stop uh, I think that the, I think the Birmingham Villa game was at 12 o'clock yesterday it didn't happen it didn't stop that from happening no, and, and and that is the idea of those kickoffs. And then you're at the stage, Martin, I've heard it talked about, uh, clubs being actually penalised for this, having to play behind closed doors, denying club vo- clubs' vital revenue as well. Oh, you know, the, the stage to be reached where can you actually have away supporters at games, which again would take away from the whole spectacle, wouldn't it? Listen, it, it, that, that changes the whole the whole dynamic of the game. You know, you you, you go to a soccer game, and, and the thing that, that that changes the whole uh, atmosphere is is having away supporters. You know, I, I can only speak about Oriel Park here, but I remember when we played in, in the even in the Aviva, and we played Legio Warsaw. The whole experience of Legio Warsaw was their, their, their unbelievable away support, and even in Oriel Park, there was any sort of away crowd. The atmosphere is, is sort of um, an awful lot better. So do we want to stop that? Do we want to quell that? I don't know. You know, but but definitely, you know, safety safety of players and safety of supporters has got to be number one priority, and that's um, that's that's where that, it has to lie in that. You know? Yeah, I would hate to see it go to that extreme. But like, if things were to continue and got out of hand, who knows where this might stop? And we'd lose, as you say, an actual key element of any match where you have both sets of supporters there and and the rivalry that that exists. On a final note, Martin, I, I, I take it now with these clubs, uh, certainly these people will face the courts. They, I take it will be banned for for life from uh, games as well. That message clear as well with Dundalk and other clubs in Ireland if people overstep the mark. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I, th- I think I think the law of the land will have to take precedent over anything else. You know, but I think, listen, Jerry, and I, I think you'll, you'll you'll listen to this a lot in the UK today. It is a, a bit of a social thing. Uh, you know. You, 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 to be fair, you won't see it in the Aviva when Ireland are playing Wales and rugby, and you won't see it when Dublin are playing Kerry in the Gaelic. It, unfortunately, it does seem to be part and parcel of our sport, and it, it is a worry, but it's, uh, you know, there is a wee bit of a social element to it as well, unfortunately. you know. Uh, that is true. Like the mixing of supporters at rugby union and uh, Gaelic games is uh, wonderful to see, and long may that continue. Segregation, unfortunately, is the way. It is the case with soccer here and abroad as well, and and, and has to happen. Martin, let's hope we're talking in isolation here, and that our games here, especially in the League of Ireland, and with clubs like yourself competing in Europe, and that this year goes off without a hitch. Thank you for taking our call today. No problem, Jerry. Thank you. Thanks a million. That's Martin Conley there, uh, General Manager of Dundalk Football Club. WhatsApp message. Rivalry is one thing, Jerry, but to hate a player because he's on an opposing club so much that they troll him with a picture of his brother's headstone 
is sickening and inexcusable. Yes, that's about Jack Grealish as well. Imagine the mindset of somebody that would do something like that. Isn't it horrendous to think, look, we all support our clubs, dislike others, chant against them, whatever, hope they don't win. That's their natural emotions and that as well. But when it goes to that, my God almighty, sport certainly goes out the window. Over the years and late lunch, we've spoken about Africa and humanitarian issues in many of the continent's countries. Today it's Sudan it's in the spotlight with us and the plight of its people. Recently, I met Dr. Sulafa, who's working at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital and whose brother, another doctor, was shot dead in Sudan just before Christmas last. Our conversation began with Dr. Sulafa talking about her home country. I'm joined on late lunch this afternoon by Dr. Sulafa. She comes from Sudan in Africa and she's working in Ireland here on a two-year contract and locally in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital. Dr. Sulafa, nice to meet you. You want to talk to me to highlight the situation in Sudan. Tell me a little bit about Sudan, the country itself. You're from Khartoum. Thank you for coming here and thank you for giving me this chance to highlight the situation back home. Yes, I am from Khartoum. I live currently in Drogheda in Ireland. I'm here in training, uh, but my, my family lives there in Khartoum. And uh, it's in North Sudan, which separated recently uh, from South Sudan. It's very bad there economically and uh, health system People are very short of money. They can't afford to 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 get a proper treatment or health uh, care. They can't afford to get proper education. They can't uh, cash out their money. They're queuing for more than sometimes more than a, a, a full day to ca- to uh, fuel their cars with gas, and they're queuing for to to have some bread, which is the staple food in Sudan. Like we 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 depend basically on bread and our food. People were just trying to uh, to uh, protest and uh, just peacefully out in the streets to, to try to get a better life, which is their basic rights. And uh, then this was faced was with uh, severe violent oppression from the government, uh, security forces and um, the government uh, out in the street uh, beating people, killing, shooting live ammunition uh, at people. And uh, f- since uh, 19th of December uh, 2018 till now, uh, more than 50 people were killed back home, which is really awful. And I'm talking about everywhere in Sudan, inside Khartoum and outside of Khartoum. And uh, my youngest brother, who, uh, who, is, who was a doctor in Khartoum, he was killed on 17th of January. He was killed by a, a, a gunshot. And he, he used to go out taking some uh, first aid to help the people who are wounded there in Khartoum. So he takes only Ventolin inhalers and some um, uh, clothes uh, soaked in vinegar to help against the tear gas. So he goes into the protest and then whenever there are some wounded people, they just voluntarily take the people into one of the houses and try to um, save their lives until they're stable. So he did that. He went out in the protest and when uh, when they saw the wounded people, they took them into one of the houses and him himself and uh, some of their other colleagues. Uh, at that day, uh, particularly in um, a Buri area in Khartoum, 
he had uh, two uh, very severely injured uh, 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 protests inside of the house and uh, he, wa- he was uh, with other doctors there and they were discussing that they should um, urgently transfer these people to the hospital. The security forces were outside, so he said, I will go outside and talk to them. He went out raising her, his arms peacefully and he told them, I have two injured people here. They're really uh, in a very uh, critical situation. I need to transfer them to the hospital. And then they they asked him, so you are the doctor taking care of them? And he said, yes, I am the doctor. And then directly they shot him to death. In cold blood, innocently, as he went out peacefully to ask for assistance and to move two critically injured people to hospital, he lost his own life. That's very true. I I have the x-ray and it shows six radio-opaque gunshots in his chest and neck, which were lethal. He, he just lost his life at the same evening. He was transferred to the hospital, not immediately. So he was taken inside to the house. The same doctors were trying to, to save his life. And when uh, the situation outside is relieved a bit and they went away, the security forces, they took him to the hospital. But unfortunately, he just lost his life. He was at 20, almost 27-year-old doctor, and he, he did nothing wrong. He was just trying to help the people out there, and he, he lost his life for it. He was my only brother, and it's really tragic to my family. How many other children are in the family? Are there other sisters? Yeah, we are, we are four girls and one boy, which was him. So I have three other sisters now. Dr. Salafa, you're here in Ireland and your family are back home in Khartoum and you're going to be here for a while uh, working and studying. Do you worry about your mother and father and your other siblings? I am terribly worried about my family. My, my other sister was detained at the same day of my my. Uh, the killing of my brother and she was just released because uh, they knew that her brother was killed and it was a big deal people was his funeral was turned into a protest everyone was really angry about his killing so and after that on on the uh, on the um, 9th of february after i came here Security forces went home and they harassed my family again and uh, they they tried to to uh, detain my father and they they uh, broke the the finger of my cousin who was staying with us since this happened so I'm terribly worried about everyone back home our our um, phone uh, phones are uh, like phone lines are under surveillance we can't reach anyone uh, there is no internet connections because it's it's all over Sudan it's cut because they don't want people to communicate over the social media we have to connect to the vpn which is an outside server to to be able to get the internet you know so it's really very bad i'm terribly worried about everyone you know back home how long is your family in sudan and do do you come from sudan so uh, we were born in saudi arabia and including my brother and we moved to Sudan in 2000 and we've been living there for 18 years now it it wasn't always easy but it was okay we were we were living in Khartoum and like south separated because of the civil war uh, and our our president is uh, convicted in international criminal court since 2008 and, and he is wanted there he can't go freely to many of the countries because he would be captured you know so he is known as a criminal worldwide for his crimes but 
locally we we couldn't we didn't feel it much impact on us we we felt it recently because it's always like a bad situations it's always people of sudan are very patient so um uh, they wouldn't go out on the street in these protests and unless they're like really re- they have really reached a point that they cannot live like this it's just unrealistic it's just impossible to live in these situations they can't like my my family is is um is one of the good economically uh... it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, you know, stated families. My father works still in Saudi Arabia and I work here and like we are three doctors in the family and one studying to be a doctor. So we are a good socioeconomic status family. And still we are affected by that. You know, even the, the simple medicine, you can't, you can't find it in Sudan now. This is my personal experience. I had to buy a very regular medicine for my uncle who had a heart attack in November from a floater seller in the streets because I couldn't find this. It's just like a black market. I couldn't find this medicine anywhere in the pharmacy, so I had to buy it from some floater in the street, you know. So, which is, I know it's not safe. I don't know how this medicine was was stored or anything, but I had to because I had no other options. People are dying. I worked in Sudan since I graduated. I know people are dying every day in the hospitals. I know people cannot afford medicines which are worth few dollars, you know, just simple analgesias, they're, they're suffering, they're losing their lives. I know people cannot, they're living in the streets, like they're, even the simple um, things that they can support their life with, like selling in the street or something, the, the police officer will come and um, destroy everything and take the people from the streets. They're not helping the people to live. There is no proper social uh, social system in the country. Everyone is begging. Everyone is suffering. Everyone is dying of lack of food, of lack of medicine, of lack of education. Very very young children are out in the streets working. They're not having. They're not going to schools. You know. So it's just it's just not acceptable what's going on back home. 
And I really want people to know, like, people are, are, are detained with no reasons now in, in the peaceful protests in Sudan. People are tortured in detentions to death. Like, they killed a teacher by torture in, in, in detentions. They killed my brother, who was um, a doctor, just trying to help the people. They killed uh, a medical student by beating him in his head to death. They've killed more than 50 people. More than 50 people are killed by different ways just for going out the streets and asking for their simple rights, asking for their right to live, asking for their right to educate, asking for their simple life, you know, rights. It's a shocking situation. What is the answer? Have there been free elections? Are there elections planned? Is it a dictatorship that you're living under there? What? What is needed to make change? So um, what's going on back home is um, the the president should uh, wasn't allowed to, to um, run the 2020 elections. Uh, and now he is trying to change the constitution to make himself allowed to run the elections. But people have said enough. They don't want this government anymore, especially after what's happened in these protests, you know. Um, like, people are very f- uh, fed up with this system. People are, are very angry with this system. They've killed everyone. They've oppressed everyone. And now they, they, they stated the state of emergency back home just to give themselves more freedom, to kill more people, you know, that's it. United Nations have, have said a, 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 um, a powerful statement that they're really uh, concerned about the state of emergency in Sudan and it's just a way to kill more people freely. And Amnesty have posted a, a report. Every, it's on the news everywhere. But what what I need to know that what I need to say that I we really need the people's support to this, and we re, I really need to people outside of Sudan to know about this. And that's why you're talking to me today to try and highlight this matter. You've lost your only brother. Things are desperate in Sudan. And even Ireland, Ireland has a voice at the UN. We have a voice internationally as well. I know it may be a small voice, but every voice counts. And you're calling today on the Irish government, on the Irish people to help the yes. people of Sudan. Yes, of course. I, I really need the, peop- uh, the people's help and the people's support. I need the, I don't know, the, the Irish, uh, the TDs maybe, the, uh, the government representative to, to highlight this, to maybe make a statement or send a message or do whatever possible. I know that some governments might think this is an internal uh, problem, but this is not. This is human rights violations. I was speaking to some, some of the international organizations and they said that only the killing of my brother had five of the human rights violations included in it, the way he was killed. He was just a peaceful man. He was given a, a sign of peace to advance and speak. And he was just taking care. He was a health care uh, and and you you're not allowed to kill doctors even in war leave alone peaceful protest the president himself went out in a public speech and he said we didn't kill that doctor he was killed by saboteurs and some you know infiltrators which wasn't true because we know what happened there was witnesses there everyone saw it and i have the i have the x-ray of his of him uh, uh death and 
there was an autopsy report which confirmed that he was killed by a, a gunshot. And so this is just unacceptable. And I really need people's help and support regarding that. When you finish here, and that'll be a little while still, do you plan to go back home or what are your thoughts about that at the moment? Or are you in a way reluctant if the situation remains the same? I hope the situation will not remain the same because uh, this government has, has fallen already from the hearts of the people from they have no more um, um, you know respect the people have no more respect for this government and the people every day and each day are going outside more in the streets so I'm really hoping that by 2020 the time that I will be returning home this will be over and Sudan will be a better country even I know that it's very hard to go back to be a very good country but i know if by by fall, by the falling of this government the people will try to pick up and everyone will be there helping and everyone outside sudan every um, experienced person outside sudan is willing to go back home and uh, country and build up the country so i i would be more than happy to go back home after this time full of hope that this will be ended very soon this will end very soon and 2020 will be a very safe country for sudan i wish you well and i hope it turns out the way that you hope too thank you so much thank you so much thank you The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Dundalk with over 150 new and used cars to choose from along with the full Renault commercial van range and finance arranged within the hour there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors in a relief road Dundalk Say what you like but in Ireland North and South the British Royal Family have a significant following and by times it's the outsiders like Wallace Simpson Diana Spencer, Kate Middleton and latterly Meghan Markle who re-energised that interest however there's another Irish woman who remained relatively unknown until now who caused a furore and a scandal in the Royal Household. Her name is Nellie Clifton and she's one of the central characters in best-selling author Andrew O'Connor's late this book by royal appointment now out on paperback and the man himself is in the hot seat andrew welcome back to late thanks, lunch Jerry, for having me back thank you for back joining here. me today it's great to have you with us now let me say first or ask you this question first where did you come across this woman this story because i up to two years ago jerry i'd never heard of her as i'm sure most people in ireland hadn't but i was i was when i was when i was here on the show i think when i was in september last october i was talking about the book i had last year which was the legacy of armstrong house yes which was set in the 1860s and when i was writing that book i was doing kind of research about the times and this name kind of popped out in this obscure something I was reading about Nellie Clifton who was kind of like uh, had had an affair with the Prince of Wales and I was like who? What, what's she? What, what's she about? <laughs> and how come she's been kind of airbrushed out of history? So I went doing more research and more kind of looking into who this Nellie Clifton was and the more I actually found out the more I realised she had actually been airbrushed out of history and she did, you know and I was kind of piecing together her story through royal entries into diaries especially Prince of Wales his mother in Victoria in, in letters that she sent to her about this woman and stuff like that but they weren't really referring to her by name they were referring to her by initials like Bertie referred to her in his, in his diary entries as NC and um, I think Victoria just referred to her in, in correspondence as that dreadful woman or that dreadful Irish woman <laughs> <laughs> on occasion 
question as well. So I was kind of piecing together the story and then I realised it was quite an explosive story and caused an awful lot of upset in the royal family in the 1860s. Give them a feel for how explosive it was. Well, she, uh, the royal family was Victoria and Albert. Obviously, they, you know, they were the, the monarchs, not just of Britain, but of an entire empire. Nellie Clifton was, at best, a music hall uh, singer, actress in Dublin. Um, there was a lot of stories about her. Nobody quite knew where she was from or, or, or what she was about. But um, basically, they, they were on two different universes. And I mean, they should have never met or been in each other's company whatsoever. But um, Bertie had been sent to Ireland in 1860, uh, 1861 as, as part of a kind of like a charm offensive after the famine. Because the British royal family and particularly uh, the Queen herself, yeah. Victoria, they weren't looked on in good light on no. this side. No, no, I mean, especially after the famine. I mean, she yeah. was becoming known as the famine queen for her, her lack of action over over all the, the deaths with the famine and emigration. And so they went in a kind of a charm offensive. Victoria and Albert and the family were coming to Ireland on their own tour down to Clarny and Muckross House. And they decided to tie this in by sending their son and heir, Bertie, as he was known in the family, later King Edward the the Seventh, over to Kildare to the Curra to do his military training. He wasn't an army man though, was he? He really wasn't. No, <laughs> no he wasn't. I, I mean, he, he, he didn't. I mean, he, he went through the training, but I mean, everyone understood he was never going to lead a battalion into battle or anything like that. You know, it was more of a kind of a, a courtesy title than anything else. But he had great fun in Kildare. Oh, he was. <laughs> he was the man for the social he, scene, he really wasn't was. he, Andrew? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is how really, was it in Dublin or Kildare Nelly and his path it, crossed? It, well, I mean, the Curra and the officers in Kildare who became his new best friends when he came over to Ireland, um, you know, because he was only about 20, he was only turning 20, very, very young man, and uh, they were out playing cricket, drinking beer, going to the theatre in Dublin, you know what I mean? Uh, so they were always up in Dublin doing the, their, 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 their social life and come back down to the Curra and stuff. So they met basically at a party. Basically they were introduced by f- new, these new friends of Bertie, thought that it would be great to introduce him to this this uh, actress called Nelly Clifton, thinking they'd get on, um, and they did get on very well. <laughs> really, really, really well. well. In fact, he was smitten about her and her about him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from people from two different planets, I mean, you can absolutely understand where she was coming from. I mean, you know, kind of like a, a girl of little education and, and, and a poor background, um, suddenly been in the company of one of the most important people in the empire. Um, and for him, he just wouldn't have met somebody like her before. Not with, you know, you know, somebody who could answer him back, have a sense of humour, you know. <laughs> he was used to, you know, the, the ladies of court and the princesses brought up a very particular way. So, I mean, she would have been an absolute breath of fresh air. Yeah, and the other thing is, they were trying to uh, hive this fella off, the mother and father. They were looking at other royal houses around yeah. Europe and to find a wife from. Absolutely. And suddenly this scarlet woman appears because, yeah. as you said, stage was her 40, but she was she had a bit of a reputation at she night had time, a, she hadn't had a she? a reputation. There was a lot of things said about mm. Nelly, you know what I mean? And actresses of that era and of, of, of the music halls, you know, they, they, they were known as loose women, basically. Yes. They, they used to keep, to keep many coming. So she would have been the absolute worst company that the Prince of Wales could have been keeping. But that didn't stop him. <laughs> so can you imagine in those days the scandal this, uh, you know, created for the, yeah. for the royal family as well? And, you know, when your son is yeah. in love with a woman, it's yeah. hard to shake that love. Well, uh, but I mean, that didn't stop Victoria and, and uh, Albert from shaking that tree as much as they possibly could, because, as you said, 
Bertie had reached the ripe old age of 20 at this stage. So, mm. I mean, that was for royal standards. At the time he was married, his, his, his sister, Vicky, had been married since 17. Yeah, they married young they then, married didn't very they? Young. Yes. And his parents had been married, I think, at 19. And Vicky had been married since 17 to the heir to the Prussian throne. So, you know, it was very, they were anxious to get him married off to a suitable princess. But there was very few suitable princesses around at best, let alone if you throw Nellie Clifton into the equation. <laughs> so, forgive the pun here, marrying fact and fiction, yeah. were you restricted? by the facts um, I went by the facts and then kind of like built on that for the fiction so factually it's all correct like I have a lot of diary entries from Victoria and um, and from Bertie himself and the dates and everything that's all absolutely correct in, in the book and then the story around it I mean there's no actual telling of how Bertie and Nellie got on together apart from that they continued getting, meeting each other so they obviously did get on together <laughs> So that's where your imagination yeah, as a writer exactly. came to bear yeah, on this. Yeah, yeah. Tell me this, could you honestly say that in her mind that someday she'd see herself in Windsor Castle? Well, I mean, there, there, there was a rumour that she actually visited Windsor Castle, that she was brought in um, to the castle and was shown around. So, I mean, I, I don't quite... I mean, I suppose if you look at it from her point of view, you know, uh, kings had always maybe not for the, last, the hundred years before that, but they'd kind of had, you know, affairs. And uh, Charles I had had an affair with Nell Gwynne, who was a famous actress, and she went on to great fame and fortune. So you never known quite what was in Nellie's mind, maybe. I mean, she might have been carried away and thinking she could have become the Queen of England, maybe. <laughs> God, you have a great job. You could just I let that go anywhere, see, really. Yeah, see, yeah, wherever her mind was working, yeah. You never... would, you'll have to get this book to find out actually how this turned out. Did, did this affair last? long term or was it short sharp shock um, it was um, a short sharp shock that went on longer than it should have is how I'd put it it didn't go on for, for years because soon basically the rumour got out that, that, that Bertie was seeing Nelly, and um, the last to know were, were kind of his parents it, all the royal families of, 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 of Europe they, the courts they, it was you know total open gossip and one of them wrote to Bertie's parents and said this is what's going on and then the parents absolutely went mad and um, uh, you know uh, um, um, his father wrote to him straight away and said you know this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me hearing that my son has been involved with this woman and he went off to Cambridge uh, where um, Bertie was back being a student and they went for a kind of a man-to-man talk in the rain in the freezing cold rain and um, Bertie promised never to see Nellie again but the problem was then um, his father um, got very ill and died two weeks later and I think Victoria really in a way sort of pin that on Bertie to say you were she completely blamed him. Did she? The yeah. cause of this, yes. Un- unfairly, because I, I think history has shown that that, um, that, that Albert was, was not well mm. over other different matters. Mm. But she totally blamed the walk in the rain and the stress of her son's relationship with this Irish actress. <laughs> My God, you could imagine then that relationship going forward, mother and son, how strained that would be. It was be. incredible. I mean, she, she wrote to her daughter, Vicky, who could do no wrong. She was married to the, to the heir of the Prussian throne. Um, and she said, I'll never be able to look at that boy again without a shudder. So, I mean, she, she really... I mean, she never particularly liked Bertie anyway. She, you know, they, they always had a kind of a problem, mother and son anyway. They weren't on the same wavelength. But this totally kind of destroyed the relationship going forward for many years, which was awkward because he was her heir. Mm. And so it ended and uh, history moved on. I'm just sitting here thinking today, can you imagine social media today, Andrew? Yeah, I know. With a story like that. Boom. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I mean, we we, can, we haven't even actually got a, an image or a, or, or a painting or a portrait That's of right. Nelly. You know, there's no um, image. Of there's her. no image of her. Could you imagine now on social media what that would be like? You know, it would be it would be incredible. Instagram would burn. Yeah, and and and, and Nelly herself would make many many millions. <laughs> oh, for sure. Listen, she'd, she'd have uh, reality shows, and Kim Kardashian would have nothing on her. You know, <laughs> there'd be massive books in this for sure, Andrew. Listen, I want to head to a short break. I have a copy. It's out in paperback at it's the minute. It's in paperback at this the moment. This yeah. is truly brilliant, folks. You love this book. I have a signed copy to give away from Andrew today on the show. And here's the question for all you royalists out there. Who is the current heir to the throne? Who's the current heir to Queen Elizabeth's hot seat as Queen of England? If it happened today, I'm talking about. I know that you're going to have second and third in line, but who's number one in line to the throne? Answers, please, for a signed copy of this brilliant book by Royal Department 2. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp your answers in there as quick as you can, please, or you can text them as well, and we'll pick a winner. Before the end of the show, Andrew's staying with me on Late Lunch. You're a busy man. Look at the number of massive hits you've had now in terms of your stable. Do you look at them as children, your books, or how do you perceive them? Um, uh, yeah, that, you know, each story yeah, is kind of like unique, you know what I mean? So it's it's always, you couldn't say which book is your favourite, you know, or, or whatever. I mean, this was kind of a little bit different for me, Jerry, because it was the first one you said that's kind of, I've got real kind of characters in it. Even though I always like to bring a lot of the real historical facts into it mm. and, and show how people kind of... Um, live their lives at the time in, in, and go into the detail of that so we can kind of understand it because that's so important. I've never had kind of real characters as the main characters as in, you know, the Prince of Wales and even Victoria is one of my main characters, you know. Um, so that was interesting. That was kind of an unusual scope to do. <laughs> and and was, it, was it, you know, when you go down that road that's something different that you've never done before? Talk about babies and children. You know, when you have a baby, there's no one teaches you how to look after it. Did you consider anything, learn from anything? Had you a, a view how this would happen? I, I, it wasn't too unlike my other books in so yeah. far as, you know, I, I, I wanted the plot to be really good. I wanted the, the settings to be, you know, you know, very good and kind of had that luxurious feeling and, and, and what better can have that than the royal family? So it's not that different, but it's just I was conscious that the actual, even though my other books were always based around real historical facts, this was like, for example, on Sackville Street, that was based around the 1916 Rising, but the characters were fictional. Whereas this is actually, the, the characters are actually, the main characters are real. So I just had to be a bit more careful, you know, I couldn't have Bertie suddenly becoming an intellectual <laughs> when he clearly wasn't. <laughs> <Which> he wasn't. <laughs> Fantastic. So, so, like, this is paperback now, and obviously you're working away. What's the plan for this year? There's another one on the way later on. Another book now at the end of this year, so I'm busy working away on that at the moment. So that's, a, that's again, has an Irish theme on it, and it's kind of, like, set around the whole early 1920s and the late 1910s. I haven't actually got the title yet, so I'm, I'm still thinking of that. <laughs> is that the way it works in general terms with you? Or do you ever, did you, would any of your books have a title early on, or do you wait till it's finished? Sometimes I have the title first um, sometimes it comes within once you get the plot the, the title comes quite quickly and, and sometimes it comes halfway through so that, that's where I am with this one We're, funny enough with By Royal Appointment that that book um, the title came straight away and I think it's because it was an interesting story Jerry. Um, Bertie um, used to I mean, once he was finished with Nelly he, he was married off to 
a suitable princess, a Danish princess who became Queen uh, Alexandra. But that didn't stop him having many affairs throughout his life. He was known as philanderer. And he used to always have, they always say, he had a weakness for actresses. So he used to kind of like have affairs with Lily Langtry was another actress. So Nelly kind of started something off with him. But he never used to, what he used to do is keep his diary for royal appointments. And for when he used to have his rendezvous with a mistress, he used to put them in as royal appointments. And um, that's why I thought this was a great title because he started that with Nelly in his diary when he was meeting her he put in Met NC you know so he put it in as a royal appointment when in fact it was a rendezvous I thought that was a perfect title for this story isn't that interesting <laughs> isn't it the, yeah, the yeah. way that he was works. disguising it even from his own staff you know <laughs> <laughs> but my god they are as I said in the introduction when you joined me there um, they are an intriguing family like no matter what you think and they're still there yes yeah. <laughs> I think they are I mean, centuries later, uh, you know, and they've they've darted this way and they've darted that way. And sometimes even when there hasn't been an heir, they still, they find somebody over, like they did with Victoria, you know, a relative and bring her over and they, they reinvent themselves. And to be fair to Bertie, he's got a lot, he's getting a lot of bad press over the years and maybe I'm giving him a bit of bad press as well. But he kind of reinvented the royal family as well because he kind of took it away from Victoria and Albert's very austere, kind of like, you know, um, very strict, you know, kind of like image. And he went out and met the people and he did the royal walkabouts and kissing babies and he introduced the modern uh, royal era. So we have to give him credit for that. And he was he was a good diplomat as well. And isn't that interesting because their her reign was a mighty long reign. Only Elizabeth now has surpassed yeah, her yeah, time as yeah, queen. Yeah, yeah. He 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 was waiting a long time. Now he was having fun while he was waiting. <laughs> you know, they were known as the Malbrough set himself and his wife. <laughs> and they didn't they didn't stop, you know, they weren't there kind of like upset that they were waiting, you know. But at the same time he was anxious to get on the throne. And of course he had to wait till his mother's demise for that, and that was nineteen oh one. I think he was he was in his well into his sixties by then. God, isn't yeah. there real parallels now with Charles and, and yeah. Elizabeth yeah, when you yeah, think yeah, of it? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, history yeah. sort of repeats itself in many aspects and forms as well. Yeah, and strangely, I think as well, I don't think Charles and his mother have the easiest of relationships either from what mm. I've like, mm. seen in the media, you know. <laughs> I think at this stage, like, look at his age. He's even older than Bertie now at this stage. You know, he's over in, in his 70s, yeah. Charles, and he still hasn't um, got the hot seat. <laughs> no, no, no. We, we I mean, this the thing is they're, they're, they have very... Their genes, the royal family, longevity is, is unbelievable. <laughs> they absolutely, Andrew, nearly yeah, live forever. They really do. Anyway, yeah. no name for the next book. Coming in October, Margaret Madden, our book club empresario, was to join us today, and she's a little under the weather. Myself and Andrew want to wish you well, Margaret. I yeah, know you're Margaret, listening. We, we in got the email today. say you couldn't make it in today, so we're, we're missing you here. We <laughs> are indeed. And as well as that, uh, I have a message for you for Margaret. She says she wants to see the first chapter of the new book. That's a little cryptic one between your Yourself and ourselves. Rightio. <laughs> you have it, Margaret. Now we're going to play out with a song as Andrew leaves us today. And the, we're playing this song. You've requested this for a reason. I, uh, yes, I requested this for our, our, our missing compatriot here, Margaret, today. Because last time I was on the show with you, Jerry, she was telling us this hilarious story about when she was a teenager and she was uh, playing this song out the windows to some uh, to poor unsuspecting boy who was walking past that she was trying to get his attention for. So myself and Jerry were having a laugh at that before the show started about Margaret's story. So we thought this is a good song. This is the song she used to play out the window. This is for you, Margaret, from <laughs> Andrew O'Connor and myself. Andrew, until the next time. Thanks, Remember Jerry. the book by Royal Appointment, out in paperback, new one later this year for Margaret Madden. Yes, it's the man himself, Lionel Richie, and hello. <laughs>
mine And in my dreams I've kissed your lips A thousand times I sometimes see you pass outside my door Hello Is it me you're looking for? I can see it in your eyes I can see it in your smile You're all I've ever wanted And my arms are open wide Cause you know just what to say And you know just what to do And I want to tell you so much I love you Well done to Pauline Hayes, Toberona Dundalk. We're sending out a Marie Burns book to you and Nassani Ginnata, who uh, wins uh, the Andrew O'Connor book uh, this afternoon by royal appointment. Yes, Prince Charles is the next in line for the throne of the uh, British monarchy. Well done to Fred Cook. Yes, our Freddie got through last night. He's through to the penultimate week of Dancing with the Stars. He's in the semi-finals, can you believe it? Was in the dance-off, got the nod from the judges and he takes his place with just a week to go in Dancing with the Stars and we will be talking to Fred again on Friday and thanks to everybody who got behind him with the public vote and another big uh, congratulations now to a local business you might remember a few weeks back I dropped into the Monaster Boys in Dunnigan's and as, as it's better known just outside Drogheda well it's a landmark isn't it for people for food and people travelling from Dublin to Belfast and I was there for a reason because the business had brought to life a new sustainable energy model. And at the time, Roseanne Donegan was telling me they were nominated for a couple of major awards. Well, can I tell you that the Small Firms Association held their business awards 2019 in recent days. And guess what? Monaster Boys in winners of the Sustainable Energy Award for 2019. And Roseanne Donegan is on the line. Good afternoon, Roseanne. Hi, Jerry. Thank you. Oh, listen, I'm looking at you here in your glad rags in the picture <laughs> at the presentation. All smiles. Well, well, well. This is real acknowledgement, isn't it, for what you've done? Yeah, it's really good. It's really good to be to be acknowledged, as you say. Um, you know, because we're kind of really not in that sphere of engineering. There's great companies out there doing fantastic stuff, really innovative stuff. So what we what we did, we didn't think... You know, we were delighted to be nominated, absolutely delighted to be nominated and to be there, but we really didn't think we were at the races when it came to the, you know, the the award itself. Well, Roseanne, can I tell you something? When I visited and came back here and listened back to the recording again, I felt for sure that somebody nationally would say, my, oh my, because you are leading the way at this stage. And, you know, it, it was it's a team effort out there, isn't it? You mentioned that. I want to mention Carl Murphy today again, because yeah. he's been a big part of this, hasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Carl has a great uh, background in building and, you know, without him, it wouldn't have been as easy to, to, to go forward because he had a great, a great understanding of the whole project and could work with the different consultants like really easily mm. so it, it really was really it was kind of Carl's baby really to be honest he was really brilliant I have to say yeah well and he, the rest of the staff too have, have come on board entirely brilliant no bother yeah the, right across the board and we have to learn it all new so it was, you know 
everybody's been really, really positive. It's great. Yeah, and, and, and just to remind people again from, you know, uh, being careful in the energy you're using with lighting, adapting it, to tapping into the stream yeah. outside for energy, uh, harnessing from your kitchens, the heat that normally would just go out into the atmosphere. Just yeah, some of the examples. Really cool. Yeah, that's mm. really cool. We use that heat, heat of there to, to heat the water. So it, it, it heats down near all of our hot water. We just have to bring it up a few more degrees then after that. Mm. So it's much, much cheaper fantastic really yeah it is it's it's a great achievement for you I have to say to win that national award and bring home the bacon I'm sure it's given a lift to everybody in the place like yourself yeah. included yeah there was marvellous marvellous lift altogether sure was we're nearly on a high for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, you'll have to have a little celebration on your own doorstep now, or will you go somewhere else? I <laughs> know, uh, we'll do something at home. Yeah. Ah, yes. Why yeah. not? And be part yeah. of this story as well going forward. And I'm sure it's encouraging you to, you know, stick with this and develop it as the years move on as well, Roseanne. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's, there's lots more stuff we can do. We're going to try and maybe cool all our, you know, use all the cooling for our fridges and freezers from the stream as well mm. you know the, and the more we can do more with the, the heat from the kitchen so like it's all on the table we just have to kind of you know get to it as we go along yeah so it's, it's good it's really good it saves it saves a lot of money too which mm. is good. now it's expensive to install but as you go forward then it's far cheaper than yes. oil or gas. Yes, there is a payback period on it but yes. look at uh, Dunningham is certainly in for the long haul given its history to date, you know, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> it will come back to you many fold I'm sure yeah. down the road. Yeah. Well listen I, look, I just wanted to, to follow up on our original story and, and congratulate you and everybody at the Monaster Boys in again today. It's a wonderful wonderful achievement. Small Firms Association so Sustainable yeah. Energy Winner 2019 Monaster Boys in Thank you, Roseanne. And thanks very much, Jerry. Thank you. Not at all. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. That's Roseanne Dunnigan there. Very happy people indeed. And it is a big award for them. It really is. So when you're out there, and there's many people call out there, very many people call out there, don't forget to mention it to them and congratulate them because it's a nice little lift when you get positive words of encouragement. Late lunch, LMFM Radio, heading to a short break. And after the break, we're going to be joined by Father Robert McCabe. He wants us to put aside our smartphones for Lent. The Lenten season in full swing since last Wednesday and a local priest is making suggestions for things to do during the season and other things to restrict or give up. You know him well. He's, he's spoken to us over the years many times on Late Lunch. He's based in Navin Parish now. Father Robert McCabe is on the line. Robert, good afternoon. Hello, Jerry. Hello to your listeners. Thank you for joining me. I suppose, look, at I've seen you've made suggestions of very proactive and positive things to do. But of course, the focus in this world of media is give up your old sins, leave the mobile phone aside, Robert. Um, we're not asking people. We're not asking people to leave their phone down. We're asking people to to examine how they use their phone and to reduce the screen time so they can increase time in the real world family time and I suppose I should say that this is not one of my suggestions although I agree with it completely this is a suggestion that grew out of a little group of the parish pastoral council we met last January to plan out different things we would do during the year and one of the ideas which emerged was that people wanted to put some solid ideas together for Lent what could we really do that would work for Lent that would make Lent fruitful so 
Um, a little team got together and some of the suggestions, we, we print them in a bulletin and print them in a leaflet and um, it's gone around the parish and somehow it the, the leaflet managed to make it to a journalist who, <laughs> who, who interviewed me last week and he was interested in it and that was all fine and I said, okay, well, he's he's done the interview now. If he wants to use it, he can use it. And at 20 past seven this morning, my own phone, I'm on duty here in Navin for the week, my own phone started hopping with messages from from Dublin, from Damascus, <laughs> and from Australia, from people saying, I heard about you, on, it says in the papers. So I'm a victim now of my own phone attacking me earlier in the early in the morning. But, there you go. Um, really, really, this really this jury is about how we are present mm. to other people mm. and how how our behaviour changes when when we when we have a phone in our hands. Um, you've seen you've seen different diff- different people have commented and sent messages to me. One one a young father of a family of five up in Donegal. Um, with whom I worked in the army, he he said thanks for mentioning that because this is the number one cause of trouble in our family. My, that people don't leave down the phone at yes. the same time. That they feel they have to keep getting updates. They feel they have to keep getting, um, seeing what's new, what's happening in the world, what's happening in the world, uh, instead of actually observing what's happening in the lives of their their cousins and their friends and family. Robert, can I tell you this? Earlier on in the show today, at the start of the show, Marie Byrne was with us about addictions, you know, alcohol and drugs. But safe to say, this is an addiction. It it is something. It is something that disrupts. It does disrupt um, different elements of life. It disrupts, for example, people's conversations. You could be having a lovely conversation mm. with somebody, and you you've made time to be with them for. Say, look, I'll meet you, meet you for meet you for a cup of coffee, and we'll tra- ch- check in and catch up tomorrow. And you're just in mid-flight with them in a conversation, and next thing, their phone rings, and they're gone to another to another universe yep. or another another person. Mm. Um, people have have mentioned it to me, and would say it very often here in Navan and and in other parishes where I've celebrated weddings that they'd love people to put down their phones during the wedding ceremony. They, they want to be at the bride and groom want to be able to look at their guests in the eye rather than through a, a lens of a camera or of a smartphone. Mm. I know, look, I, I tell you, I'd say you're echoing uh, the thoughts of many, many people. But as you said there, I, I was even saying, we're caught up in this now. We are, you know, we have to check everything on the minute. We have to answer every call instantaneously. We want to know what's going on everywhere. Holy God, tonight, let's just leave it uh, for a little bit. And that's really what you're talking about, just to consider and not have it dominate lives. Uh, well, I, I did, I spoke, actually, I was speaking to Pat Kenny this morning and one of the points I, I found myself being led into was about how it impacts on me as a priest. And well, certainly one of the ways is when people are coming to Mass, um, yes, you, 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 you might have the phone with you, but generally people coming in before they even bless themselves, one of the things they do before coming into the church is they've silenced the phone in their pocket. Um, or, say, at the at the bedside, if I'm... If I'm, I'm Praying with somebody who's in their last few hours or in the last few days, there'll be a, a lot of the family will be around the bed, 
And I find myself telling them and prompting them to say, look, guys, this is, this is a life and death moment here. We don't actually need to be able to send a message straight away yeah. when somebody has breathed their last. Mm. And in fact, there's something, there's something really sacred about, there's something really sacred which has been degraded by, uh, because I would see the word degradation as being the opposite of what is holy, uh, what, is, what, is, what has sanctity. So we, we degrade certain moments by having our, our thumb ready to push the button to say that, that something has happened. Mm. And that, that, that's a lost opportunity that we can't ever repeat. Yeah, and I think that's a very important point to make. It's a very sacred time in life for anybody passing on, and it really is shocking to think that it would be interrupted by technology. Anyway, time is going to interrupt us now. I have to let you go. Thanks for the message. Uh, I'll be doing my best to try and follow what you say on this one anyway. Well, if you want a few more, few other little gentle yeah. ideas, gentle suggestions. Now, they're not. this is not the law. This is not Navin priests forcing anything. This is, this is, these are parents and young families who came up with all these suggestions together. And it just happens that I'm the one at the end of the phone today. But they're on our parish website, navinparish.ie forward slash Lent. All the information is there. Suggestions, positive and uh, cutting back and curtailment as well. Father Robert McCabe, thank you for taking our call today. God bless, Jerry. Bye-bye. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Father Robert McCabe uh, there bringing to an end our conversation on late lunch this afternoon. And we are going to leave you today in the company of the Black Eyed Peas. I got a feeling. Get that feeling and get back tomorrow and join us for late lunch at half one. Eddie's up next with The Drive. See you tomorrow.